Good morning. This is Coffee with the Sarles, and I'm Karen. Good morning. I'm Kelly. I have a story this morning, a client story I'd like to share with everybody, and it's a, there's a lot of medium in it. The client um, has given me notes. Uh, we sat together and went through her session about two weeks, I think, after it um, by telephone so that um, some accuracy could be given. We know how I struggle with memory. And there were notes written in this session. She was doing hers by FaceTime or Skype. So we could see each other. And I had a pen and paper in front of me for her session. And that ended up becoming really important. So she also gave me word for word some things that ended up getting written down on a piece of paper for her from her mother. So mom came through um, to talk to her. And Prior to that, or prior to this session that just occurred two weeks ago, she told me that she had seen me, I think she said maybe six months ago. And at the very first session, her mom had come through again in a brief way, saying that that she had struggled on earth uh, loving Terry. So I'm going to call the client Terry. And her mom came through at the very end, I think, of her session to say that she had been very mean to her and that she didn't know how to love her on earth. That's what those were the statements that she she wrote down. So Terry wrote these down. And unknowns to me, it really opened to something that day in her. And a lady came through in that session, Dr. Susan Forward. And but she's alive. She is an author and psychotherapist, or mm-hmm. is, is that correct? And we've actually had her on the show. And people, if they go back into our archives, can actually see and listen to her show. Yep. And what happened was when Terry's mom came through and said that she couldn't love her, that she didn't know how, and that she didn't go into the explanations. She just said this. Susan Forward's spirit came through so she's alive but her spirit came through to say Terry needs my book mothers who can't love Susan suggested to Terry that she get the book and read it that she needed it and that she'd find a particular point in the book that was going to be beneficial to her I I was gonna ask was her mom not able to love because of who she was or because of who Terry was but I think you've just answered Uh, that yeah so at the second, so that was the first treatment a half a year ago, I think at least. So in this period of time, Terry went out and bought Susan Forward's book, Mothers Who Can't Love. She took the time to read the book and to take her time reading it, not to kind of like do it in a week or a weekend read where you just sort of gloss through something and see what, what you were supposed to get out of it. She took her time to go through it. And she said what really struck her was the chapter where Dr. Forward says, if your mother has passed over and you can't get a closure with her in some kind of way, what to do? So this was the this was the particular chapter in the book, or one of them, that really spoke to Terry and that she really took to heart and followed what Dr. Forward said to do. So she did that, and that, that was that. So then two weeks ago in the session, her mom started at the beginning of it. So she actually got her mom for the full hour this time, mm-hmm. and it, uh, which she was content with. She set the intention at the beginning that whatever her spirit needed, 
she wanted in a session. And I know you can speak to that right off. We could stop and have a whole show on that by itself versus when we call or someone wants to see us and they have particular things they've needed. So Terry now has spent six months going through Susan's book and working through some issues. And I find it interesting that she didn't call and particularly have questions right off the bat, but that she probably had a lot of things in her mind that she wanted to talk to her mom about because she'd been working with this for six months. Mm -hmm. But that she started the session open just to see where her mom was at with all of this, or maybe just what the spirit guides wanted to say to Terry about what she had been going through. Well, I think that's a good point to make because we can we can get in our ego and think we've done a ton of work and think that we're working through things and moving past certain issues. And the soul comes through to say you've done no work. It's all on an ego level and you just want to think that you've forgiven and moving for, or moved forward. And you're saying that that's not the case. Well, or that, you know, some people think that once they read the book, they let it go. They let go. And so you're, I'm just wording it in a different way than you. You did say this already. I'm well aware. I'm just using a different term because sometimes when people hear the different terms, they think, ah, shit, that's me. Mm-hmm. I thought I let something go or as yeah. you said, moved forward with something. So her, her mom, and I'm going to, oh, this is going to be a little bit messy for me, but her mom started by describing how she treated Terry. Uh, the things that she said to her and I wrote some of them down because it actually came through in the session that that Terry actually said I said these things to her in the first one in the first one Mm -hmm. and then again in the second so her mom would say things to her like just you remember that if something bad happens it's going to be your fault oh and and this is when Terry's a child and she said things to her like um you're stressing me out If anything bad happens to me, it's your fault. If I die, it's your fault. You're the one that caused me all this stress. This is when I feel some people just shouldn't reproduce. (laughs) That's that's fair. That is not for a child to own. And that's... That's that's, not for anybody to own. No, but what I was going to say is it's not for any child to own. And you create broken adults. Oh, I love what you said. Say that again, Kel. You create broken adults. And it's far more difficult to repair a broken adult than it is to raise a child who feels loved and safe. I'm pausing on purpose so that people can really hear your comment. And if they need to pause and replay and replay or or pause and write it down so that they have it and write it on a post-it note if you need that. If you're the parent that's that's struggling with parenting, hear what Kelly just said and book an appointment. Call your agency for child abuse. Say you need help. Call therapy. Go mis- visit your priest or your minister or tell a friend. I don't know. Everybody does it in different ways. Tell somebody what you're doing and how you're talking to your child. I am not comfortable with you saying visit your priest or minister. Well, they're not all bad. That's fine. I'm not comfortable with it. I know. But I'm just saying some of them have a good education in psychology. Some of them do. Some of them don't. I I understand there are good and bad. I could say visit a good psychiatrist and not a bad one. Okay. I'm just trying to say 
admit first that you need help. I'm not saying that you, I'm, I'm saying admit it even to a friend. I'm not saying your friend is going to give you therapy. I know that all of these people need a good psychologist. They need a good therapist, uh, maybe a good psychiatrist at the end of this, because there are many issues that they're going through to behave this way. I'm just saying admit it first. I'm just saying take a step. Because I understand where you're going that like in order to get help back, that you need the proper person. I'd like to refer all of these people <laughs> to Patricia Evans, and Beverly Angel and uh, uh, Susan Forward and different people, someone qualified. I understand that. I'm just saying the first step is to just say it and admit it. And ask the person to help you hold yourself accountable to getting the help. Just as a check-in. I'm not saying it's their responsibility to drag you or to bring you. I'm saying just as a check-in. Because when we abuse, we don't, we don't admit. We don't hold ourselves accountable. We don't allow other people to hold us accountable. There's, there are a whole bunch of pieces that, that can happen there. And today I'm just saying, if somebody's hearing this and they're that person that's doing this to their child, just to take that pause and take one step. That's all. I understand what you're saying about they need the proper help. And that's a good point too, what you've, what you've brought up. Back to the story? Okay. All right. So as I was talking to Terry, she was saying that she realized when this memory came up, when her mom was saying these, this, this stuff to her and bringing this up in this session, that she realized that she was always waiting for the next bad thing to happen. And that this is where it originated. So she just kind of sat there and looked at me and went, wait, 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 I need a moment. <laughs> well, you've identified an underlying belief system. Perfect. And that was what exactly the next comment, Kelly, that came out was that I wrote down, Teresa was made to feel slash believe whatever her mom chose to teach her. Mm-hmm. So the feelings and the beliefs came together for her. So if my mom's making me believe I'm responsible for things and all of these things, even things I can't control, then I feel like a constant failure. I feel fear. I feel anxiety. I feel depression. I feel worthless. I feel that everything I say, do, and now even think is going to be the, cause other people pain, discomfort, Therefore, I don't know what to feel, think, or do. Well, I think it's, um, how do I say this? Because it's not neat. It's devastating what you just said. Yes. That you don't know what to think or feel or do. But on a subconscious level, that's not actually the case. Because when we buy into a belief system, we then search for events and people who will validate the belief system even if it's not a good one or a healthy one. So if she's bought into as a young a young woman or a young girl that the belief system is everything that ha- that's bad that happens is my fault, then she, like you said, waits for the next bad thing to happen because that confirms a belief system. Because even though that mother was horrific to her child, that little girl in her still needs to believe that the mother was right and understands life. Perfect. And that she tells the truth, even if it's a hard thing to understand about yourself. You've done a beautiful job of explaining it and what it what it does. And this is the conversation that Terry, her spirit guides, her mom, 
and I were able to have that day for her, Mm -hmm. where she was able to hear it right from her mom's spirit as because I was able to do medium. So my participation in it, her guides participation in it so that Terry could understand it, identify it and put the pieces together and retrieve the memories. So the spirit world's pulling in all these memories for her now and helping her access them faster and quicker so that she could put all the pieces together. And when she was miss a piece, her mom would jump in and give her the example she was searching for in her memory. And where you're saying, and I love this because then the next little piece to it can be, where did she put that in her body? Where did she put that in the relationships with partners? What did she do to pick careers to validate that, work on it, get stuck in it, and so on and so on? I think this this podcast, there, this story that you're choosing to tell is a perfect example of our June, or our July, pardon me, sips of sanity for PTSD. Oh, oh, right. Because you're talking about pieces, right? Yes. You're talking about the shattering and that belief system that she's carried with her where she she has fear, obligation, guilt, all of those different things throughout her entire life, which makes her unable to function properly. Yes. Or healthily, however you want to put that. And then that too, sometimes we, as you said a little bit earlier, Kelly, uh, just to bring back another point that you made in that she would look then for people to help her create that pattern. So she may pick a husband or husbands or, or bosses or coworkers or clients or whatever in her, her her life situations that will keep reiterating that path. So she'll look for similarities without realizing it sometimes in maybe perhaps the men that she loves then the, and the the husband or partner that she picks or girlfriends that she picks that can play that out for her over and over again to keep her in that pattern. Mm -hmm. So this was something that was really, really momentous for her that day. And momentous meaning momentum, meaning energy, meaning movement. Which I thought was really, really, I won't say cool. I don't know what word. Significant. I want to go to another part of this. I saw, I saw two pieces of paper. I saw two pens, I saw two people writing. So I told her that I said, you know, Terry, I said, I can see two, two pens, two pieces of paper. And she goes, Oh, keep going. And I said, I think what I'm understanding from your mom is that she saw you sitting down and writing a letter to her. And she goes, continue. And I said, she's showing that you're going through Dr. Susan Forward's book. And as she's guiding you in the book and telling, asking you different questions and you're sitting and you're going through a process of writing this letter to your mom, I said, your, your mom is actually sitting down beside you and she's writing with you. And she goes, okay, what's my mom writing? And so here's another place where the session went was I went in the spirit world closer to her mom's energy and looked over her shoulder to see what she was writing. And so I started copying what she wrote. And so there's a page for for Terry that she received where I wrote everything down word for word that I saw that her mom wrote and she would write Terry, and then she would write a little sentence. And I had four sentences. And so Terry gave me these sentences to to read. And what happened was she said, you have to tell Terry that she was right. So it was Terry, you were right. I was jealous. And she started crying. 
And she said, I always wondered as an adult if my mom just had a, a, a feeling of jealousy towards me because of the way that I looked or because as a younger person, I was thinner. And that as my mom was older, of course, that she was having problems with weight or whatever, but that I was younger looking or pretty or smart or that I had opportunity ahead of me and my mom felt angry with her life, with her marriage, with being trapped with all these kids. And was she just, was she jealous? And she says, so this has been a big question. So when she wrote her letter to her mother, she wondered in the letter if she was jealous and asked her the question. And her mother wrote down, yes, Terry, you were right. I was jealous of you. I am sorry. So she was actually responding Mm -hmm. to the letters. So, you know, if Susan Forward is listening to this podcast, like how beautiful of her to write down a process for people Mm. to sit. And I really want to acknowledge all the people in this today. I wanted to acknowledge Dr. Forward, Dr. Patricia Evans, all of these different people that take the time to connect within their own careers to write down a process for people when we don't know how to go through process for ourselves. And, and to validate for them that that process works and that the other side watches us when we struggle in a process, when we're not trying to rush to forgive. Well, you're saying they partner us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You keep making comments and I pause because they hit, they hit a chord. Mm-hmm. You, 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 because you, you say exactly what we want. So I'm talking about what the struggle is, and then you hit the nail on the head that we want our parents to partner us. It's a beautiful statement. And if someone has that, wow. And if they don't, then it hurts to hear you say it. Mm. But maybe if they're going on and they're hearing how if they go through that process of writing a letter, maybe your parent doesn't have to be dead either to go through that process of writing it, that their spirit can write back and, and answer answer you. And so anyway, I I wanted to continue. She said that she heard her and that she saw her write it. She saw her rewrite it and that she saw, and this was from mom. She said that she saw Terry write, rewrite and read it out loud. (laughs) Terry looked at me again and cried and she said, that's exactly what I did. She said, I wrote it and I had to rewrite it because I would think something different or I'd get a, I'd read the book a bit more and I'd get asked a different question and I'd get a bit more clarity. So I'd think, oh, I didn't write that right. And she'd go back and she'd, she would rewrite something. And she says, and I did, I read it out loud. She said, part of what Susan suggests is that you write it and that you read it out loud. And that sometimes that you might pick a safe person to read it to. And she says, so I, 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 I read it out loud. And there's her mom's spirit saying, I heard it. I read it and I reread it. But telling a daughter who she says on earth, you're not worthy of my time. You're not worthy of anything, any love from me, nothing. Now sitting down saying, you're worthy of me reading it once, twice, and hearing it out loud. The change that the spirit went through of Terry's mom to be able to come through and say, I changed. And that's a that's a big message because some people, as you know, Kelly, when they come to see us and we say, your parent has said this or said that, and I know they wouldn't have said it, they don't believe us because they still believe that their parent is the same on the other side as they are or were on earth mm-hmm. as mom or dad. And you and I know they, they change, but many people don't believe that. Right. So they wish for them to go to hell 
They wish for them to suffer. They wish things on them, not understanding that they could change, learn, grow. So one of the things that she also, what was it she wrote? Teresa, I am trying to show you respect for you. I am sorry I did not do this for you on earth. I am so sorry. So she was trying to show her daughter respect, which is something if we don't get it on earth, we kind of, I think, can go through the rest of our lives still not really holding other people accountable to respecting us. Mm-hmm. We get stuck really still believing that we still don't deserve it. But it comes back from that, when, like that original injury. She said, too, that she was proud of Teresa for writing, rewriting, and reading it out loud, and that this was the first time that Terry could hear that her mother was proud of her in her, in her whole life. And so this client, this Terry, is I think now in her 50s or 40s, and this is the first time she's hearing that her mom is proud of her. I think there again, that's just, that's a moment. Imagine going through your whole life and never hearing once that your parent is proud of you Mm -hmm. and that they purposely withhold telling you that so that they can keep you down. Well, I think even when you hear it, you don't believe it. You, you hold out waiting for something bad to happen. That you, Your belief system is so ingrained in you. You still wait. You still hold on to it even when they've changed. And I think that that can be one of the most hurtful things when two people are alive is that when one person really is doing the work, the person who has been wounded or victimized still holds on so tightly to the belief system that the other person who's making an effort they really can't change. They're not allowed to. Mm-hmm. I keep pausing. Yeah. <laughs> Purposely, Kelly. So people can really, really think about it. And I think, you know, we, we do a lot of spouse examples, but I think of siblings, mm-hmm. adult siblings specifically, where, you know, you've, you've had a whole life to grow up together and understand the other person and see their patterns. And even when one of them wants to change and is working hard, the other sibling can still hold on to who you were when you were six or who, who you were when you were 14. And we again, we look for examples that validate that belief system that you're still manipulative, that you're still a liar, that you're still irresponsible. That goes back to a podcast show. Remember we did my uh, with the 100th episode called My Brother Darren? Yeah. And how yeah. I was dry, I was I had chosen that one day to see him as who he is today, and not who he has been for a whole life or any of the patterns that he may have or that I saw in him, and that I just wanted to see him that day for who he was that day. Mm-hmm. She commented, "Mom, I should reference who I'm speaking about." Mom commented about how super critical she was of her, how if she, she came home from school and all the kids came home, she has siblings. If they all came home from school and there were pictures to be posted on the fridge door or up on a wall or something, she took all of her siblings' pictures and put them up. But if Terry took out a picture, she'd make a comment. What, you think you're better than your brothers and sisters? She wouldn't acknowledge her. So she singled her out amongst her siblings to punish and to belittle, to criticize, to put down. And in this session, she apologized for that. She apologized about making her hypersensitive to being criticized. Mm -hmm. 
and that this is where it came from was that her brothers and sisters could all have done the very same thing and all be told they did a good job or the you know their pictures put up on the fridge uh, they're given an ice cream sundae as a treat but not terry so she wanted to make sure that and you know some people would say well this is you know you call this the the whipping boy or there there's a, was a phrase or this for this or term meaning that they're the ones that are punished for everything the black sheep the, yeah the black sheep of the family that you take that one person and make sure that they feel different mm-hmm. that they feel like that they don't have a family that's another big statement yeah, and I don't know if this is too much of a tangent, but I know a lot of people have come in for sessions and, you know, we'll say something like, your mother's here, you know, let's say a sibling of, of Terry's comes in, your mom's here and she's saying she was very mean. And that sibling can go, oh no, my mom was so kind to me, she was so great and she was so supportive. And that can be true of how they were treated as an individual, but, you know, they can they can think they feel safe, they can think they feel loved and supported, but there is an underlying belief system that they too are not safe because when you see someone treated that way, you know that there's inconsistency and you know that it can switch on a dime that you then become the black sheep. And so you're thankful that Terry's around because she's the one who gets the brunt of everything, but there's a fear. There's a constant fear that it could be you. Well, and then there would be a need to keep Terry around, whether you like her or you don't, because, and and quite often you don't, but you just want her there. So like you said, the attention, the negative attention and abuse doesn't get targeted on you. But as you're saying, indirectly, you're abusing Terry too. Yes. And, And you do live in fear of the abuse. Oh, and that, here's another thing that was written down on the page. Terry, you are safe now. I don't want to hurt you anymore. I liked it that she said want and she underlined want and she emphasized want. So this brought us to a little part of the session where her mom showed me and I wanted and I explained to Terry what her mom went through on the other side. So this is a little segue to it or not a segue, another little piece of it. But she showed, her mom showed where the spirit guides showed the mother her own injuries, where she was treated certain ways in her life that made her this angry, and that her lack of decisions made her this angry. So instead of choosing to leave this marriage that she didn't want to be in, she stayed in it. She said for the sake of the children, that this is what you do to raise a family, to not be outcasts in a society or in, and in this case, it was in a, a, a church. These, this was a family that was raised in church. And, and I think hers, if I, I can't remember which one, but anyway, doesn't, it, it does matter, but it doesn't because some people can identify to the church issue and some people can identify just to the fact that you've got to put one parent stuck in a marriage. Well, the institution of marriage. Yes, period. that, that institution in itself and what it, what it does. But her mom showed how the spirit guides in the spirit world helped her see her own injuries, her own choices, her own ability to think for herself. So in these institutions, letting other people dictate what your beliefs are, what you're allowed to do, what the rules of the game are of life, and how she never stepped outside to to question any of it, to think about any of it, to make a decision for herself, to see other options or choices. 
and that because of that, the anger that she felt towards those institutions, but projected all onto Terry. But she stayed for the children. Yes. So the very reason I'm staying, I'm abusing. Okay. But she understood it. Yeah, I know. I'm yeah. I'm pausing now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is this this is still a thing. This is it's still a belief system that we're staying for the children. Oh, yes. And, and I, people still need to hear that subconsciously or consciously you're taking your shit out on your kids, out on your animals, oh, out yeah. on your coworkers, out out on the spouse. Sometimes we're staying in the relationship for uh, for a number of reasons, whatever they are say it is the children I think in another podcast show I called it like the what was on the platter like the hot tub and the two cars and the vacations and the getting your nails done and a lifestyle sometimes it's you're staying for a lifestyle and you say it's for the kids and for the family but it's for a lifestyle that you've you've now got or that you don't want to be single and picked on or pushed out of the friend group because it's all couples. And like there's a variety of reasons that people stay in different situations. But in this situation, the spirit guides were showing mom on the other side her own choices, her own lack of choices, her own lack of willingness to question things and to say, is that even right? Is that even healthy? Is that even what I want? Is that in alignment with who I want to be as a person, as a partner, as a mother? Refused to ask herself any of those questions. But now she got all of eternity to answer them and nowhere to run. (laughs) No one to project it onto. No Terry. No black sheep. She just had her self and her spirit family that were standing there, her spirit guides saying, it's today. There's no running. There's no place to push yourself. There's nothing else to keep yourself busy. It is today. And this is where she wrote back and saw everything that she had gone through and what she had done, not only to Terry, but to her spouse and to the other children. And this is where she got to write her letter from when she said truthfully to Terry, I am sorry. I always think of this situation like a detention room. And and hear me out. No go. It's good. Because not, not in, in all of the ways. But I think about how we behave sometimes in a classroom when you have the class clown or you have the class bully. And you feel safe because there's a group. And you think someone's going to back you up or there's enough people who aren't going to talk about it or you know point out the elephant in the room. And so you feel safe to behave poorly in a classroom. And then you're given detention, which I'll say is likened to death, right? Yeah. And you think, oh, well, whatever. I guess I'll, I'll have to sit and, and think about what I did. But it, it'll happen later at the end of the day, at the end of the week. And then you finally get into the detention room and you're by yourself. And it's not about isolation. It's about there's literally no one else to blame this on. There's no one else to sit here and defend me. There's no one else to sit here and cover up for me or for me to point a finger at and say they're the reason I did it. Like you're literally faced with yourself and and hopefully, you know, that teacher and that spirit guide that sits with you in the detention room afterwards is sitting there going, take all the time you need and reflect on you. 
And they're able to pull up your memories so that if you have suppressed things, you have full access to it now. And some people might think, oh, Jesus, I do not want that. Well, that's that's the part where it's too bad. And I say it, it in that way, meaning you can't avoid anymore. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. No, I know you're saying it and I'm just paraphrasing it again. That you, you're you just saying you could, there's no option for avoidance. And I'm also saying that the spirit worlds then help you. It's not just about avoidance. It's about retrieving things. It's about allowing you to feel things. And here comes the next statement that she says to Terry this day. And, I, and it, she says she is now separating shame and sadness. And that she was allowed in that room with her spirit guides to feel shame about what she did. And that with it came her own sadness about doing it. And then after she feels sad and shame at the same time, she's allowed to just sit in just the sadness. No more shame. And then she apologizes again, saying to Terry, this is why she can write down, I no longer want to hurt you. Because when you are on earth, there is a desire. This is a wanting to hurt somebody. There, there's, and that need needs to be met. That's why we do and say the things we do or withhold or whatever. But the want was gone because she was finally able to deal with all of the shame that she felt and the sadness and the anger. Mm-hmm. And so Terry was able to see and go through some specific examples, but also hear what her mother went through so that she doesn't just think, well, how did she get to, forg- to, you know, to apologizing? Does she even really know what she did? Does she even really know how I felt? Does she even really know how it's affected my life, for God's sakes? How do we just sit and think we're going to forgive somebody if we don't know those things? Mm-hmm. Well, we don't. We pretend. Yeah, I think about, you know, comments that are made by, you know, my partner that are, innocent on his part but trigger and flare up issues that my dad have given has given me Mm, and for me to think and I'm just making it personal yeah so that other people aren't on the spot you know I can sit there and think okay I'm I'm 29 I'm moving forward I'm living my own life I'm an adult I'm responsible for my own feelings and decisions now and yet these little comments that come from other people trigger those underlying belief systems that my father has given me Mm -hmm. how do you actually forgive how do you actually not feel angry how do you actually not feel resentful how does it actually not come out in some way towards the partner yeah and create a confusion in them when they don't understand it if you're not open to talk about it to say it, to acknowledge it, to say, this isn't about you doing this right now. This is because this has hit a trigger. If you don't even know and haven't taken the time to even know what your own triggers are. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why I love these authors like Patricia Evans, Susan Forward, Melody Beattie. Oh my goodness. Nina Brown, uh, Beverly Angel. Oh, there's just so many that actually get us to do the deep work to know what a trigger looks like. Because if without the triggers in your back pocket or in your toolkit to know what they are, or right right neon signs right in front of you, (laughs) you know, flashing in front of you, 
how do you know where to really place it or really to be responsible for it, that it's your own trigger and that it's not the responsibility of the partner to fix it for you? Or to avoid it for you necessarily. Mm, I like that. Because to, to identify and say, hey, this is a trigger for me, there needs to be a conversation about how the two of you function with that. Yes. As opposed to them having to tiptoe around it because of something your parent has instilled in you. Right. Which would just give you a level of control over them instead of the tools to actually right. problem solve it together and get through it together. And that's truly a moving forward. And for you to be able to separate those two individuals. And I think a lot of people in marriages can understand that because we are taught and we are we do see evidence that we marry our mother, we marry our father. Mm. Right? And if you are being triggered in the same way with that spouse, then you really do in some way on an unconscious level morph the two together. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a heavy Saturday. It is, but it's a good one. It's a oh, work. Oh, it's wonderful. It's a work one. You know that's my type. Oh, yeah. It, it's that. And you know what? If people listen to it and share a piece of it or send it off to somebody, you know, as a shared file or something and says, you know, can you listen to this, grab out of it a piece of it, what you got out of it, I want to talk to you about it, or this particular little five-minute segment about knowing triggers or pick up one of the books. We are taping another show with Patricia Evans about verbal abuse, her book, The Verbally Abusive Relationship, and Controlling People. And people will be able to hear another author come on and talk about some of these tools not just problems. What we're trying to do in the show is to show how what we do helps people access the memories, how it accesses the spirit world to get the, me- the messages, the acknowledgements, the apologies, the process f- directly from the people we need it from. And sometimes they're dead. <laughs> sometimes it's hard to access that. And I, I think it's a beautiful gift that you and I both have that we can be the bridge for them. Mm-hmm that does it in a little bit of a different way than therapy can provide. But hopefully people are hearing from this podcast show that the two works together. Yeah. And that they work together like kick ass. It's a, it's a, I was going to say it's a good throat punch. Oh, well, sure. <laughs> in a good Some way. Some people need that too. Yeah. But I mean, in that throat area, that chakra to get things moving in dialogue yeah. again, but, and I hopefully a healthy throat punch. <laughs> <laughs> if that's the thing going in a weird direction <laughs> yeah maybe that wasn't a good analogy at no, all it works it works in conjunction so long as you've got a professional who knows what they're doing yes who isn't taking your money and wasting your time or or giving you solutions quotation in quotation marks that are non-actionable that's great kelly and and i think too the reason people need to return to therapy meaning that you're being accountable that the therapist can hold you accountable to getting through a process. Yes. They can help you when you when you need a new tool. They can also help you when you're using a tool, but not properly, or maybe tweak it a little bit so that you get something more out of it. It's like squeezing that lemon or that lime, yeah. and you need that extra half little little bit of juice. Sometimes we need that to, to make something work better for us. Well, you know, if you're in some kind of therapy, because there's all kinds, if you're not walking away at the end of a session without homework, yeah, then you're not in a good, you're not in good professional hands. Oh, I like that. And, and that's what I meant by non-actionable. So yeah. if you're being told to pray on it <laughs> and there is no action required for you, for behaviors to change, right, for 
for um, conditioning a different thought pattern. Yeah. A healthy thought pattern, a productive thought pattern that's followed by action, then you're stuck. Uh, can I jump in for that? Somebody just said to me yesterday, well, I'm, I, I keep saying positive affirmations and nothing's changing. Well, I guess not. Uh, yeah. And I said, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I read a book and if you just say positive affirmations and if you, if you work on visualizations and if you do yoga and if you do breathing, everything's going to change. And I'm like, oh my God, no. <laughs> Oh, no, life's no. going to be hard. No, like, yes, life's going to be very hard. You actually have to work. You can't, like, and those things are working. I realize re- breathing is moving muscles. I realize yoga is work. But you actually have to think differently. You actually have to take action and work at it and try it out and communicate and move forward with other tools. Those are great tools for a toolkit, but that can't be the only things there. You can't have a nail and not a hammer. Oh, I like it. <laughs> Good. That's awesome. Okay. I'm done. Uh, I, Me I, too. I need a nap. I want to say a big thank you to Terry for her whole two sessions, for everything I got to learn in all of those, but also the fact that she's just letting us share it. And, and that she also called and took the time to say the whole story and let me write it all down. It, that, that's big. Hopefully uh, that is another piece that allows her to move forward as well, is is sharing, oh, right? Yeah. We should, when we share our story, we get feedback and we feel empowered by how it's helped others change. And and just the, the voice, when I know you referred to it as a throat punch, but being able to use your voice or your story to be heard helps us. Mm-hmm. I think it's beautiful. If you have questions or comments about today's show, we definitely welcome them, especially if it's words of encouragement to Terry that we can pass on. Our email is info at and we will talk to you next Saturday.